Good morning. It is Monday, December 16th, 8.13 a.m. I hope you all had a good week. I know I did. I really did. It was so freaking busy. <laughs> it was nonstop uh, party here at a, I mean, part, uh, you know, a party, not at my house, but at Bridget's house, a little gathering. We made some dough ornaments and had a bunch of mulled wine. And I don't, I don't think my ornaments were dry yet, so I just left them there. But everyone was there. All the ladies, Amisha, Donnell, Stacy, Bridget, Nicola. It was a very nice little gathering. And yeah, we just painted and talked and drank and ate yummy foods. So yeah, that was, it was good. Um... I stayed, I think, for 4.5 hours, so it was a good good little get-together. Um, and then the next day was also kind of crazy. Um, we, me and Rose did a little pop-up at her house, and I didn't bring that much stuff because I didn't want to carry that much stuff. I'm kind of running out of stuff to sell, which is fine. I want, that's kind of my plan at the end of the year is to just almost be fully liquidated and then start over, start the cycle again. It's really exciting. I have my entire plan for my collection going forward and the and that will also be complemented by the aesthetic of the vintage. Uh, so I am very excited about pushing that through. Um, so that's pretty much all I care about in my life right now is the collection and and the um, the vintage complementing that to my business so yeah but there were lots of nice people there too lots of nice ladies uh, uh, let's see here we had Ariel kid um, Georgia um, Rose, of course, was there. I don't remember too much else. <laughs> uh, there was some champagne that happened there. And I was supposed to read tarot also at Adobe on the same night. So I exited the party, went over to Adobe, and it was it was just silly in there. I was like, no way. I'm not... I, I love Adobe Bookstore, but I like the old location better. I'm just going to say it. So, yeah, it was just packed with these kind of, you know, hand screen printed t-shirts vendors, which all of the vendors, their combined age would still be younger than my age. <laughs> it was pretty funny. I was like, you little babies. Um... And it so everything was like packed with these weird little vendor stalls, and I was supposed to set up my tarot near the bar on this kind of crate thing, and it was me, a love seat in a crate, which is fine. I can totally set up anywhere. But then this lady was like, "Can we sit here?" And I just honestly, I didn't want to sit next to her, so I took the tarot thing and I left. 
it was great. I, I said my goodbyes and everything, but I was like, yeah, you know what? This is, there's not enough room here, and I don't want to sit next to this woman. So it's going to be a big pain in the butt when, if someone were to make it over to the tarot thing. So then I just went back to the get-together at Rose's house, and it was fun. It was kind of like a slumber party, but we didn't spend the night. Just lots of fun girl talk and yummy snacks. And then I went home, and yeah, I've just been working on stuff the whole time. I went, oh, I went on a date on Saturday night with this guy who I thought it was kind of cute. I He looked kind of like Brian Ferry, but not as cute. <laughs> um, who is, right? But yeah, he, uh, I noticed that I didn't really like his writing style that much when I was in communication with him. Like setting up the date, it was very, very, very long-winded, with just full of run-on sentences and just just too many words, you know? I guess I like the strong, silent type. <laughs> but, um, or just, you know, the less chatty type. So when I met him, we went to the Pied Piper bar, which, I don't know, it's kind of weird blue lighting there. And, you know, full of Republicans. And, yeah, he's basically a good person. I just wasn't feeling it. Um, he's in law enforcement and he spent a lot of time justifying why he's in law enforcement and, you know, how he has this amazing education, but, you know, he's cut out for the job and all this stuff and he didn't really seem to be interested in anything that I was doing or that I had to say, um, which is fine. I don't really care because he was so boring you know, it kind of worked out. It kind of worked out. So, I, you know, some things I agreed with that he was talking about, but whether I, I merely asked him what he enjoyed doing with his time. And basically he talked at me for about 20 minutes about his work and how he got into law enforcement, which I don't, I mean, I guess it means you enjoy law enforcement. And then he talked about Cirque du Soleil, um, which that's fine. I, I did ask, but also they seem kind of disjointed from each other. Anyway, I was so glad that date was over. And one good thing about dating apps is you can just delete the person after. So that felt good, too. I think he was looking at my tattoos and was like, no, I'm, you know, I could tell he was just looking at my, my wrists the whole time, which, I mean, they're lovely wrists, but you know, I mean, I guess it's better than looking at my boobs, right? Anyway, bigger and better things to come, I'm sure. I, 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 I'm sorry, there's too many funny things about this date. I, got, I can't, I can't just... I can't quite move on yet. He had kind of like weird tiny hands. And he was talking about how he liked to go to the gym. And he loved being at the gym. And I was just like, I, 
I, so many things came to mind that were not polite, you know? Um, but one of the things was, you know, he had kind of like a dad bod, which is fine. I don't, I like, I like most men's bodies, (laughs) um, as long as it's kind of like on the bigger side, you know? Um, but he was talking about how he often he goes to the gym and how much he loves it and how long he stays and all this stuff. And I just hadn't, I did not see, I was not looking at it. I was not seeing any physical evidence of it. And so I was, but one of the things that came to mind, I was like, is this, is the gym just kind of like your little playground or something? Like, are you just gonna, um, I don't know, you just go sit there and eat like candy bars and Luna bars and stuff. Like sit on a weight bench with a little towel on your neck and check out women. Is that, was that why you like going to the gym? Um, but I didn't say that, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I personally, I don't have a formal workout. I just walk everywhere. I haul ass on bar. I ride my bike as much as I can and I carry heavy shit all day. So that's my workout. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was really funny. I was like, yeah, you, you like that place, don't you, hun? Um, And then I went to Trader Joe's and got some stuff to make fondue with. And I had fondue by myself that night. So that was the best part of the date was having that fondue. And yeah, went to the Alamany flea market. And there was a huge pile of dollar clothing there. And I found two dingy blouses that I'm going to clean. And I, there was a huge wooden door that had been leaning. It had about one inch of space and it was on a, on an incline that was headed out towards the sidewalk and a bunch of, I guess, clothes like bumped up against the door and it almost fell on someone. That was the big drama part. And you never saw so many people act so idiotic just pick up the door and put it in a different spot. The guy who had the door wanted the door to just go back to the same spot. And I said, it's, it's not at the correct angle. It's going to keep falling all day. He got pretty upset with me that I said that. And you know what? I really didn't give a flying fuck, you know, it's just, it's funny. It's like, I'm not even here to help you, man. I'm just trying to, you know, I'm just, it's just an observation. Anyway, I wanted to really, I really want to get to part two of Nikolai and Elena. This, this part I'm calling Little Darlings of the Western World. Part two. It's 1968. All over the world, it's the summer of love. August 1968. There's hippies, there's a sexual revolution, people are living in communal settings, they're protesting war, they're standing up against authority, they're writing magazines, or the rock and roll is going crazy, people are doing drugs, a lot of people are on acid, mini skirts, you get the picture, that's what's happening in the rest of the world.
not exactly what's happening in Romania, though. Um, in fact, it's kind of the opposite. Birth control of any kind and abortions are completely banned in 1966. So that's kind of the opposite of free love, where, where in other parts of the country, in, in other parts of the world, women can at least have access to birth control. And freedom of speech is repressed in Romania. Everywhere you go, there's no real pop culture. The only, the only pop culture icon is Nikolai and Elena Ceausescu's potato-ass looking fugly mugs. That's what you get when you turn on. If you have a TV, if you have the luxury of a TV, that's what you get to see. You get to see propaganda and Romanian folk dancing programs, which I'm sure those parts were, the folk dancing was delightful, but it ain't the summer of love. You know what I mean? So that's what's going on there. At the time, Romania was part of what was known as the Warsaw Pact. It was written up in 1955, and it was to strengthen the Soviet hold on its satellite states. So this included Hungary, Poland, Czechoslovakia, Albania, etc., etc. So the little, it was to surround all the little surrounding states. And each one of those states, which are actually countries, but as far as the pact is concerned, they're called states. Each one of those had a resource that they would, you know, kind of work and pull into this pact. So Romania's was agricultural, for example. There, the problem with Romania being part of this pact is they were being treated like a defeated country, even though they had willingly kind of, through a coup, deposed the the Nazi sympathizing King Michael in World War Two, and and they so they kind of at the end of the World War Two, excuse me, so they went from being Nazi lovers to communist Soviet lovers. And in the middle of that, what happened, like, when, you know, after all the dust settled and everything, the Soviets imposed a reparation tax upon Romania. So any, when a country wins a war, then they charge you on top of it. So after they beat your ass, then they then they give you the bill. That's that's the, that's one of the crummy parts. So it's like, oh yeah, you know, um, those tanks, yeah, that cost about like forty billion dollars. Can you please give us the money back for that? We needed those tanks to fight you. I hope you understand. So they were on top of being in this pact already indebted to to Russia for many millions of dollars, which ended up, they ended up paying, I think, $3 billion to them. 
total, which which broke was which already had their 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 very small economy just kind of just hobbling along, and then they were pretty much expected to be a breadbasket state, like the breadbasket for uh, due to their agrarian culture for the, for the rest of the Soviet Union, so to distribute everything out. So that that is uh, so it already kind of created a little bit of contention and and a rift. And the reason why I say the word little bit that's kind of diminutive, but the reason why is Romania was not even relevant to the Soviet Union. I know that sounds kind of harsh. They didn't even really care. To them, it was just a a state that that hobbled along that was too insignificant and just like a silly caricature of of Europa in a weird way um by the time it became a part of the Warsaw Pact there it had already been ruled by a monarchy it had been ruled by a fascist state now it was being a a Soviet, part of a Soviet and communist rulership, and it would later go on to have a tenuous democratic system after 1989. So it's it's really ran ran the gamut, you know, kind of as opposed to the United States, for example, which has always been something of a democracy. There's never been a king here, et cetera, et cetera. So the so Romania is just they don't they don't care it's like the least cared about state and also kind of it seems all over Europe it was maybe a notch below Albania as far as the Soviets were concerned So yeah we're in the summer of love there's progress everywhere <clears throat> but Romania's in its own little world and and during the during the time that birth control and abortion were banned maternal mortality skyrocketed okay it tripled and in and it continued to escalate un, until the Ceausescu's were were executed so maternal mortality most of it resulted from failed abortions about 10,000 women died that are known known cases documented cases and we're going to get into that in in, in a future episode so LBJ was president during the time during 1968 and one of the communist countries that was feeling the pulse of of love, so to speak, of of the age of Aquarius was Czechoslovakia. They were starting to loosen up on their uh, speech repression. They were allow starting to slowly kind of allow people to express themselves. You know, uh, there was there it was kind of like showing up too in in Poland, but but more importantly in Czechoslovakia. Um, they were, and I'm saying more importantly, just because of 
of the amount of subversion and and the way that it was expressed got on the radar of the Soviets. And Czechoslovakia is not much different in size than Romania, but the freedom was dangerous. It could spread. And so they needed to tamp down that, that nasty freedom. So everyone was supposed to be on board. All the communists were supposed to be on board with invading uh, Czechoslovakia, sending troops there. And even though Nikolai did not for himself, you know, promote freedom of speech for his own people, he thought that he should stand up against the Soviets in the Warsaw Pact. And he said, no, I will not invade Czechoslovakia. I will not. <laughs> and you know what? It's surprising. The Russians did not care <laughs> because that's how irrelevant, that is how irrelevant Romania was to them. They, they really did not care. It was truly the mouse that warred, roared. You know, it's kind of like, when someone makes a really big fuss and you didn't want to you didn't want to see them anyway you know just kind of like you know what i can't take it anymore i just can't see you you're problematic i can't be with you and you're like honey i have been i'm not even interested in you anymore like i've moved on i'm like seeing other people I'm like seeing many other people. As a matter of fact, I, I am barely passing the time with you. I have like 10 minutes to Bart and that's, that's why you're here. Um, that's kind of what, that's how the, you know, the larger Soviet powers viewed Romania. So Ceausescu saw this as a huge way to get sympathy and um, investing and and also favor from the West. And this is where this is the part where I call the crossroads of ego. This is kind of like part 2A or part, you know, yeah, part 2A. Um, the crossroads of ego. Because Nixon had visited in 67 and he, right before announcing his presidency, his candidacy for president, he was still vice president at the time. And he was trying to win votes by doing a repeat of the kitchen debates of 1959 with Nikita Khrushchev. Um, we'll back it up to when Nixon was the vice president and there was a, an American, there was a cultural exchange happening. So that means America, <laughs> the Americans had set up a national exhibition in Moscow and uh, showcasing like a house there, they built a whole house that was supposed to represent the type of home that everyone in America could afford that was filled with modern conveniences and there was a kind of 
a face-off between Khrushchev and, and Nixon in the kitchen of one of these. Um, it was it was more based, they kind of kept it with, you know, hey, yeah, you know, we built a spaceship, we did this, and, you know, we can do, you know, we can do better, we have these cars, we have these factories, blah, blah, blah. So they were just, it was just like a one-upmanship thing that was pretty much... Um, done through translators and it was filmed in color tv it was on color tv and everyone got to see it and they and also one of the side notes is uh the russians sat on the video for a little while they didn't want to release it at first (laughs) they're like we got the tape so uh what you gonna give us for the tape but it became very popular and it put you know it put Nixon on the map but it was also one of the few things that was shot in color at the time so that might have been a huge just the gimmick factor so Nixon uh before he announces his candidacy for president he he decides to do another he wants to do another repeat with Brezhnev but this time they ignored him (laughs) they didn't care they didn't want to do that again the Soviets had already gotten some some power and some some power they had gotten they had increased they had made some technological advances in those eight years and really Nixon there was really no the only reason that they would do it there was it was of no benefit real benefit to them because Nixon was in political limbo and so they said no they were like we are not we don't have time for this you're not you're not giving us anything. This will be all for you and for the glorification of your ego. So Nixon's ego was hurt and off to Budapest, oh, to Bucharest he went. And Ceausescu rolled out the red carpet. Now at the time, anyone who, who pissed off Moscow, no matter how awful the rulers were, they got USA support. And when Nixon went, visited in 67, Ceausescu really buttered him up and, you know, completely kissed up to him. And he was, you know, kind of in awe of Nixon, too. So there was some genuine affinity. And Ceausescu made, the Ceausescu's made Nixon feel better about himself. He got to to go to this poor country and condescend to them and he then when he did become president he never forgot how how sweet the Ceausescu's were to them and now at the time there was a a large palace that had just been built the spring palace in Bucharest and this was the the official residence of Nikolai and Elena and it was extremely opulent and it it just it had it was basically like a huge compound of luxury and I'm going to get into that in the next episode um but at the time every everywhere else around them was struggling it was a, a nation in debt that was deprived of just the most basic resources a lot of the actual resources that 
like the, the natural raw materials that Romania possessed went into the building of that first spring palace. That spring palace, there, there ended up being 40 palaces in total that were built in every single one of the provinces in Romania, every single one of the little towns. So each, each, each little town, like 40, or village, there were 40 of them. There was one in each. Um, but, you know, Nixon, Nixon ignored the disparity uh, between Ceausescu and his people. Uh, he ignored the suppression of free speech. He ignored, especially ignored, the human rights violations. And instead, he encouraged via the U.S. Embassy, the promotion of Ceausescu uh, and, and encouraged uh, Americans to invest, you know, American business people, businessmen to invest in, in Romania. And what ended up happening with those investments and loans, per se, were <laughs> they would build these factories that would that were supposed to make products, you know, that would, one, build, build up Romania's economy, but also they could use the products from the factories to pay off the loans. What ended up happening is they had all these poorly trained forced factory workers in very low pay and bad conditions making shoddy products that were not up to par with the rest of the world's production values or quality. So it was a massive, it was a massive failure. And again, it was like kind of an ersatz form of industry. So yeah, it's funny how these egos, these egos collided into this egoscape. Because Nixon turned a blind eye to everything just so he could get a little bit of validation. Wherein he could have done something different. And Ceausescu was shrewd enough to see that in a way. And to use it to his advantage. Um... Because of his association with Nixon, because of that brush with, with you know, the highest power, he it really went to his head even more so. Him and he and Elena, and soon after this encounter with Nixon, he declared himself president of Romania. He wanted to be a president, so president he was, but he was still a dictator. And he, when Nikolai and Elena visited America in 1970, he saw how average Americans lived. And he saw all the motorcades and the cars and the vehicles and the relative prosperity. And he wanted those things for himself. Both he and Alina did. They wanted the luxurious surroundings and 
they wanted to be titans of industry and, you know, production. So the way they did it was such a failure, too. (laughs) And it was at great cost to to the Romanian people. There, this kind of started a little kind of money-raising do-si-do of Nikolai and and, uh, Elena uh, traveling. They would, so basically all the, all the allies, all the allied countries would let them, you know, kind of come in and hold court there for a couple days. And they went everywhere. They went to Paris and they went to Iran. They went to Canada. They they pretty much went all over the world. I could just name countries like they went to her. They went to all of there and every single place they were kind of showered with gifts, which was weird. And when they weren't when they felt like they weren't being showered, they would demand gifts. And it got so bad that in the 70s, when they went to Paris, they had just gotten back from Paris. And the kind of the person who was in charge of all the kind of arranging all the um, accommodations for traveling dignitaries, he called up the social secretary of Queen Elizabeth and warned them because they were going to visit Buckingham Palace and they said, please lock up all your shit. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. They will take everything out of the room that has any value. So no antiquities, nothing. They took the fixtures off of La Commode in France. So it was pretty serious. It was pretty serious how how entitled they were to these these bubbles. And you know, they had they decorated their palace with it. Um when they when they got to Great Britain it was it was such a weird farce. They thought they thought that just because they were visiting the queen that they were equal to the queen. Um, which of course was not the case. So they get there. Elena demands three fur coats. Nikolai is presented with a, basically like a little hunting rifle because he liked to go hunting. And they are, they are the reason for their visit is because England wants to sell them some jets some like large jets and a rolls royce <laughs> they're like liquidating you know and um of course the chachescas can't afford it they can't afford it that's that that was the the actual purpose of the trip what ended up happening though is they they thought that they that it was just some social visit where where the chachescas were going to be where they the chachescas were going to be honored and uplifted they wanted to have they wanted to have tea with the queen mother elena wanted to get 
an academic award from a in an institution of learning they were scrambling the british were just scrambling no no one was going to give them oxford was not going to be handing out some rinky dink little diploma to elena no 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 they did they were not going to do that and they finally found some technical institute probably the if there is such a thing like the british equivalent of itt tech and they got they they drummed something up and had a ceremony they really the Ceausescu's really just milked the situation when the reality was they were going to look at a car and a, a couple of planes that they couldn't afford anyway. The, it, it, it was just, it was so, it was so Looney Tunes. It was bonkers. Uh, around, uh, shortly after that, they, they went to Canada and Canada was onto them by this time. And they presented them with an Inuit sculpture and a silver plate. And they, the Ceausescu's poo-pooed it. It wasn't extravagant enough. And the Canadians kind of did that on purpose. Um, they, they knew that it... Um, they did that because it, it was like something that was already in their coffers, you know? And also, there was a, the, Mel Rooney, the Prime Minister at the time, had told them that he knew about a, a religious, a religious persecution case of a minister who was, who was being held in one of the gulags in Romania, and he demanded the release of, of that pastor. He wanted Nikolai to personally release that prisoner, and... Nikolai begrudgingly did, and then they got the fuck out of Dodge. They're like, we are no longer in Canada. We do not like Canada because we are not getting what we want. Nikolai, oh, they were so delusional. I, I'm i going to go on a little bit more, but then I have to start my day. And I feel like I'm kind of rambling, but it's just there's so much information. There's so much corruption, so much delusion, so much ego. Like You just... Oh, I you cannot believe. Here's here's the thing. <clears throat> here's one that's there's here's an amusing one. Nikolai had every single outfit. And Elena did too, but Nikolai was the one who started it. Nikolai had every single outfit that he wore vacuum packed in plastic. Yeah, it was like a vacuum pack kind of shrink wrap type thing. And this was because he had a conversation with Fidel Castro. And Castro had mentioned that the uh, CIA had tried to have him poisoned via osmosis, which was, you know, poisonous vapors on his clothes. So when Castro put it on, he would die, which obviously that didn't work. Now, you know, the CIA tried many, many ways, almost kind of humorous ways to kill Castro. He's unkillable. And he is also a, a dangerous man, a man that was a great threat to, at the time, the CIA perceived him to be a great threat to U.S. security and safety. He's a threat to democracy. 
whereas Ceausescu was not. He was pretty much a plaything, puppet, figurehead, make Nixon feel good kind of guy. So he's listening to Castro and he's like, yeah, I think, uh, I think I'm under threat too. I think people are going to try to poison me through osmosis. That's it. I got to have all my clothes shrink wrap every single outfit, every time. And he would have those shrink wrap parcels inspected. So for, you know, just in case someone like put a little syringe or something in the bag, you know, to kind of poison the clothes via, you know, via the old turkey bag. And, and that's, and that's how, uh, that's how he lived every day. They had in their palace, they had a, all their food was sent to kind of like a lab to be tested for poison. Just in case, you know, just in case there was a big, you know, organization that was trying to get them. The ironic part is they were doing that to their own people. They had, they had everyone under surveillance. His goal was to have all the phones in Romania tapped. Every single phone. If, there, if you could afford a phone, it was probably tapped anyway. They had their own little secret service called the Securitat. Securitat, excuse me. And that, they turned civilians into, into spies as well. So you had, you had pretty much one in four people were spies in Romania. They were constantly turning on each other, constantly under surveillance and living in fear, complete and total fear. And they also had, they had like a, a sense, they had no, no emotional freedom even. They had no, they had suppressed information. I think this actually caused, among many other things, this compounded a, an intense hatred by the Romanian people of Nikolai and Elena. They did not, they were not loved. And I feel like the, this fear of being poisoned, which was part of their self-importance, but it may have been a valid fear that someone who worked closely, like let's say someone who massaged Elena's bunions, for example, would inject, would rub a little bit of poisonous cream on her gloved hands and rub it into Elena's bunion, for example. Um, I could, you know, I'm hypothesizing here. Like, they, that's a real threat because they were just so awful. You know, so in a way it did turn into, maybe they didn't have to vacuum seal their clothes, but it did turn into a threat of them just by their sheer unlikability. But they couldn't separate the reason for, for like the circumstance. There's, there's so, so much to tell. <sighs> Let me just take a breather really quick. Cause I feel like just, <sighs> yeah. Okay. So the Ceausescu's, they had, they had a, they had reduced the, the population to kind of an animalistic survival mode. A typical day in the life of, of a Romanian citizen was one of 
the most bureaucratic, harsh, and unpleasant days you could ever think of having. So you wake up probably pretty early to go relieve your spouse of them standing in line for food. And one of you will be standing in line for food pretty much for the whole day. Food was rationed and so was energy and electricity and you know natural gas, etc. It was all rationed. If you had a car, there were only certain times you could drive and gas was just, it was, it was such a huge, it was a huge commodity that it was very scarce. You would go work your shift at the factory if your factory had not closed down due to power outages. You'd go work your shift at the factory or you would, or you would not be able to work at the factory if there wasn't enough power to fuel the factory for the day. If you were a woman, you would have to try to find a way to make the food that you finally got from standing in line, if you, there was any food left, you would try to make that last amongst your at least four children. There would be a strong possibility that one of your children would be housed in an orphanage so there's a thing here where the where a lot of people had to abandon their children to these horrible orphanages. The, or, the orphanages were horrible because they were completely over overcrowded, understaffed and <clears throat> had no funding whatsoever and almost no resources. They were like gulags for kids. But you could go visit your kids in in the orphanages. And then maybe you would have to go relieve your spouse or your husband from waiting in the food line. One of one of you guys would always be waiting in the food line. Or if on a day that for some reason you both are at the factory working, you get called away. You get called away because it's time to prepare for the big floor show. Yeah, for two months out of the year, they pull you out of the factories and you can't work. You don't get any wages. And guess what? You have to do this choreographed dance and you, it takes two months of your life to train for it. It's very expensive and you have to do it because if you don't do it, you get sent to a gulag. So that's what, that's the, that's a nutshell of of the options that you might have in your day as a typical Romanian citizen under Ceausescu rule. There's so much more. There's so much more. I've got to get to work. I've, I've got my own work to do. I'm thankful for my life. I am so thankful that I do not have to wait in a line to get basic food. I am thankful that I have electricity, that I have a little heater right now that I can warm my feet by. I can say fuck the police fuck Donald Trump fuck racism fuck misogyny fuck transphobia fuck it all and I can live my life how I choose to live it and I hope that you guys 
are grateful for that too. I know that you are. I will continue this saga. I'm probably going to have a, another episode in the middle of the week because there's so much Ceausescu to get through. You got a lot of Ceausescu to chew. And um, my apologies for the slightly miscombobulated telling of this saga, but I'm just overwhelmed. There's so much. All right. Talk to you later. Bye.